shift work can be brutal, but it doesn't have to be. Welcome to a healthy shift. My name is Roger Sutherland, certified nutritionist, veteran law enforcement officer, and 24 seven shift worker for almost four decades. Through this podcast, I aim to educate shift workers using evidence-based methods to not only survive the rigors of shift work, but thrive. My goal is to empower shift workers to improve their health and well-being so they have more energy to do the things they love. Enjoy today's show. And welcome to today's show. Now, my name is Roger Sutherland. Today's episode, PCOS, Evidence-Based Strategies. Polycystic Ovary Syndrome, or PCOS as it is abbreviated to. PCOS is an extremely complex condition, but sadly, very common and more common in shift workers. I could talk about it for hours, having studied it extensively, and I even wrote my case study on it for my exams. What would a male know about PCOS, you might ask? Well, I'm actually going to try and package this up for you in an easy-to-listen-to episode under 15 minutes. So let's see how I go. And you can judge if I know anything about it for yourself. Remember, this is what the evidence says, not your colleague at work or some random on social media. So let's get into it. It is estimated that one in 10 females of childbearing age suffer from some form of PCOS. And scary for you is that the evidence supports that shift-working females are almost twice as likely to be diagnosed with PCOS due to our shift-working circadian disruption. There is much greater prevalence in the overweight and the obese. So, given that, what does the evidence say? Well, evidence supports that lifestyle changes are the biggest key to treating PCOS. We know exercise is known to improve PCOS. We also know that weight loss is known to improve PCOS. And I'll address in this podcast what the evidence says about, is there an optimal weight loss diet for PCOS? What about dietary composition? And on that, does changing the composition improve the features of PCOS? And I'll also discuss supplementation, vitamin D, omega-3 fatty acids, and another little secret that I've got. Now, I'm quite sure that those diagnosed with PCOS will be very clear on what it is. I get it. So can you just bear with me a sec while I outline to those that have taken the time to listen who do not suffer from PCOS, and aren't we just jealous of them, let's just clarify what PCOS actually is so we can all understand it better. Now, there are three key conditions that are associated with the diagnosis of PCOS. And based on the Rotterdam criteria, to literally be diagnosed with PCOS, two of these must be present. Now, what this means that you can actually have polycystic ovaries, poly, meaning multiple cysts on your ovaries, but not have the syndrome. How does that work? Well, to be diagnosed with PCOS, you must have two of the following conditions. Now, number one, hyperandrogenism. Not easy to say. It's easy for you. Easy for the medical experts, but not for me. In essence, these are elevated androgens, hormones that contribute to growth and reproduction. For example, testosterone, DHT. But these are essentially more of the masculine anabolic profile. That's hyperandrogenism. Number two, polycystic ovaries. We've discussed that. Poly, meaning multiple, 
cysts on the ovaries, which is usually equal to or greater than 12 cysts. And number three is oligo and ovulation. And ovulation, which is the absence of irregular or infrequent periods. So you've got to have either increased androgens and cysts on your ovaries, or cysts on your ovaries and infrequent periods or irregular periods, or hyperandrogenism and the absence of irregular or infrequent periods. So in the absence of two of those together, you can't be diagnosed with PCOS. So how does PCOS actually affect women? I know you're all groaning, those that suffer. Number one, reproductive. In the reproductive area, it gives menstrual dysfunction and hyperandrogenism, which can lead to infertility or increased pregnancy complications. It has an impact metabolically. Now, this is where it has probably a lot of the impact, and that's in insulin resistance and increased risk factors for and risk of type 2 diabetes mellitus, which is a group of diseases that affect how our body uses blood sugar as well as cardiovascular disease. And psychologically, anxiety, depression, and, of course, quality of life. So let's just sprinkle a little around shift work in here. Shift working women suffer from insufficient sleep. And insufficient sleep increases the risk of menstrual disturbances, and you guessed it, insulin resistance. However, the evidence does not show that insufficient sleep increases hyperandrogenism and the polycystic ovarian morphology, which is typical of PCOS. So ladies, sleep, as always, is vital for a very valid reason, and more so if you suffer from PCOS, because it helps to maintain a regular cycle, or it doesn't compromise it, and it will reduce your insulin resistance. Now, insulin resistance is one of the biggest problems for women with PCOS. Why? Because insulin resistance leads to increased blood glucose and or hyperinsulinemia, which is a higher than normal insulin in your bloodstream. This then increases the 5-alpha reductase activity. Now, this is diabolical for women because it is what creates the worsened androgenic profile. Think a male hormone profile. And this increases total testosterone. Now, to throw a spanner in the works, not all women with PCOS have insulin resistance. I know. Look, I promised you that I said I would keep it simple. So let's simplify that. I'm just going to break that right down. And I'm just going to tell you, we just have to reduce insulin resistance. There, done. Easy. Okay, so moving on from that, what does the evidence actually say on how to improve PCOS with our macronutrient ratios? Simply, there's no rules. We can follow, and the evidence around carbohydrates or fats are still far too open to interpretation and are incredibly ambiguous. So we can't just follow and say one is right or one is wrong. However, what we can say is that protein is either neutral or good. That, as per normal, always protein people, there are building blo- they are building blocks to absolutely everything. Now, the evidence supports that carbohydrate restriction or moderate fat are both equally effective in maintaining weight reduction, so improving reproductive and metabolic health. And as with any diet, the most important thing is sustainability. Can you stick to it? Are you getting all the micronutrients you need? Is it predominantly plant-based? 
with lean proteins included, whole grains, are you having your whole grains? And are you consuming a diet that has minimal processed intake? Stick, find a diet that you can stick to. Now, what the evidence, which is Moran et al. 2013, does tell us is this, that greater weight loss for a MUFA-enriched diet. Now, MUFA is monounsaturated fatty acids. These are your plant-based fats, avocado, nuts, seeds, oils, olives, and wait for it, dark chocolate. Improved menstrual regularity for a low GI diet. We know that a low GI diet Low GI diet causes our blood sugar to rise and fall slowly, and it may also help us to feel fuller for longer. There's greater reductions in insulin resistance, fibrinogen, which is our blood clotting protein, total and HDL cholesterol for a low carbohydrate or a low GI diet. We get an improved quality of life for a low GI diet. We get improved depression and self-esteem for a high protein diet. Weight loss improved the presentation of PCOS regardless of dietary composition in the majority of the studies. Okay, once again, I've gone on, and let's just keep that as a major broad stroke. Simple, a high-protein, low GI diet may help. Now, here's one for you that you probably will not be aware of. Now, at night, while we sleep, we burn fat to keep us alive. PCO sufferers, because of their, they are metabolically deranged, for some reason are oxidizing and burning protein and or carbohydrate overnight. Now, this is more prevalent in hyperandrogenic PCOS women. This means that you could literally be breaking down and burning muscle overnight, which is another tick for why a high-protein diet may be beneficial for women with PCOS. Now, there is also evidence to support that having 15% of your total calories from fruit will reduce protein oxidization. So how's that? More fruit, again, the win. More fruit in your diet reduces protein oxidization. And this is why I personally suggest two things to my PCOS clients. Number one, a casein protein. Hello, Muscle Nation, with your casein custard with some berries or some fruit in it at night. Now, casein protein is a slow-release protein. I spoke about that on the last podcast. So this is enormously beneficial because if it's going to oxidize, we want it to oxidize slower. By putting the fruit in it, we slow it down again. So having casein protein at night, it provides us with um, to prevent muscle protein breakdown by breaking down our muscle. The other thing that you can have is Greek yogurt with a bit of fruit in it as well. And this will reduce the oxidization of the protein while you sleep. So there you go. So let's get on to the supplementation for PCOS sufferers. Number one, the king of all supplements, omega-3s, fish oils. Improve your androgenic profiles in PCOS, decrease liver fat in PCOS, improves insulin resistance and your triglyceride levels, and EPA and DHA has a distinct metabolic and endocrine effect in PCOS. Important, take your fish oils. We don't get enough fatty fish here, so even if you're eating two lots of fish a week, it needs to be a really oily, fatty fish, and we just don't get those in the Southern Hemisphere. Supplement with fish oil, vital. The next one, who would have thought, but vitamin D. Now, vitamin D amongst everything else, has an enormous impact on insulin resistance. 
So take your vitamin D. So I would highly suggest that you go and see your GP and get your vitamin D levels checked and ensure that you are within a correct range. And here is my secret supplement. Ladies, myo inositol. Now, quite simply, if you have PCOS and are not on inositol, you are doing yourself a massive injustice. It is not a supplement you need to worry about at all, as it is literally just a sugar that's normally made in the body and found in foods. Now, myo-inositol shows significant reductions in insulin levels and improvements in insulin sensitivity. It improves ovarian function, menstrual, menstrual cyclicity, amenorrhea, absence of cycle, and oligomenorrhea in frequent periods. Sorry, I'm not really good at these words, these technical words, but I know what they actually are. Significant reductions in free testosterone, significant weight loss, and improved blood lipid profile, lipids being cholesterol and triglycerides, and also reduces your blood pressure. Now, the research dose is two to four grams per day. Ideally, two grams in the morning, two grams in the afternoon, and it's perfectly safe to take with any other medication at all. It is important to note that you do not get D-creo-inositol. It is not the same thing. You need myo-inositol, all right? So there you go. Now, weight loss is a lot harder for females with PCOS, and I won't go deep into the reasons why, but suffice to say, there is an element of metabolic adaption due to blunted thermogenesis. Now, this is the heat that's generated in response to the food that we eat. BMR, the energy used to keep us alive at rest, is reduced in women with PCOS, and it could be anything up to 40%, but it's impossible to actually know. Now, our postprandial, which is after our meal, thermogenesis, is also reduced in PCOS, and this makes weight loss harder as well. Women with PCOS have a deranged appetite regulation, which is associated with the increased levels of testosterone in their system. Now, this sounds like all doom and gloom, doesn't it? But it just doesn't need to be. I'm just telling you what the evidence says. So let's recap this and make some points here. There is no evidence to support that any particular ratio of macros so uh, improves PCOS. So forget your keto or your low-carb diets. Higher protein is always good for satiety, and there may be some benefit to low GI foods. And weight loss should be a priority, even if your BMI is in the normal range. If it's in the normal range, try moving it to the lower end of normal and see if that helps. And exercise... Resistance training and HIIT training are both enormously beneficial to improve insulin sensitivity as well as to burn the glucose in your system. And, as always, find a style of eating that you can adhere to and just stay consistent. All right, that's it. Wrap it up. How did I go? I apologise. I'm over 15 minutes, but not by very much. All right, please. That's PCOS. I would really, really be grateful if you could scroll to the bottom of the Apple app and rate and review the show. It does make an enormous difference to the show if you could do that. And on Spotify, just go to the main page and you can hit the three dots and then you can give the show a rating. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you get notified whenever a new episode is released. It would also be ever so helpful if you could leave a rating and review on the app you're currently listening on. If you want to know more about me or work with me, 
you can go to ahealthyshift.com. I'll catch you on the next one.